Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Good Sunday, dear listeners. Got to get to the East 15 and 60. Did a bunch of research. We're going to be utilizing sus stats very liberally here as well. I will say right at the start here, three teams we're not going to do. Orlando, they've now won six in a row after sweeping a set in Boston. We're going to try to do a deeper dive on them actually for tomorrow. And then also we're doing the Wizards-Lakers game tonight. So we're going to save that until tomorrow also but hoping to get through all 12 of the remaining teams here Danny and you got a thought on order should we do an order? just figure out what order to do on the air what what crazy criterion will we think of this time I was thinking we'd just kind of go randomly between some of the teams that you did more of the lead than I did um so like we can pick it that way and I think the place that I want to start is um, the most interesting thing I've watched over the last little bit, or at least the most fun, was in part because I haven't yet watched that Pelican Suns game. I'm going to probably watch that tonight or tomorrow morning is Raptors Nets from Friday. I thought that so it was a game that I watched live in the fourth quarter and then I rewatched it in order to to talk about it more more in depth for the 15 and 60. And actually, do you before I get going, do you want to start with the Nets stats? Absolutely. They've won five straight. Actually, I think maybe it's more than that, but they've won five straight since we last talked about them. They're 18 and 12 now. Yeah, it's Ninth five straight. It's five straight and nine of their last 10. Yes. Yeah, no, correct me if I'm wrong. There aren't any like crazy impressive wins during that stretch, but this team actually taking care of business is something that we haven't seen of late. They've managed to avoid major controversy. Ben Zeman has been in and out of the lineup, but that hasn't hurt them too much. So yeah, that 2.0 net rating is ninth in the NBA. They are 10th on offense. 13th on defense and they project for the fifth seed in both projection systems 47 wins per raptor 48 per elo and being given a pretty good chance of the playoffs here 89 percent in both of these projection systems so start off noting that there are some absences in this game with the og ananobi and gary trent not playing for the raptors but the raps go up big in the first half looked like this was going to be a clunker for the nets but uh, they came back brooklyn did and it was a, this, this game but there are, there are a bunch of smaller takeaways and then i think one of the bigger ones is just how different the nets look now that they're closer to their full complement of players and they're you know they don't have to lean as heavily on the young guys you know cam thomas played five minutes in this game dayron sharp played zero um even seth curry who i who I think, you know, one at full strength should play more than that. He only played seven minutes. But getting some quality time from TJ Warren and Yuta Watanabe, who 
not only hit the game-winning three and scored 17 points against his former team, but just I thought he gave them really good energy, had some big defensive plays, had a pick six that became a dunk, which was really good. And so for the Jacques Vaughn and the, and the Nets, they, they have more options. They have more choices. But more importantly, they just don't have to play guys they don't trust nearly as much. And so I think that's really important for them. But it was also a reminder when we did the, the Seth Stats edition of the pod last week, I had the Nets and I talked about this idea that Brooklyn doesn't get a ton of high value shots like they don't do a ton necessarily around the basket. They don't get a ton of uncontested threes. They don't necessarily get to the free throw line, but they have really good players at maximizing the other stuff. And I thought this game was a really good example of that. If you want to start with Kyrie Irving hitting the I apologize, I said you hit the game winning three. That was the game swinging three. The game winning three was Kyrie. Um, Kyrie Irving overall in the game, 32 points, 13 to 22, three of nine. And you look at a line like that, you might say like, oh, he he dominated and he did play well offensively in particular. But I thought that by and large, Toronto defended him pretty well. There were a few times they lost him coming off a screen or something like that. And I thought it was largely a similar story with Kevin Durant. Durant ended up 10 to 15 from the field, but especially the possessions where he was guarded by Pascal Siakam. Siakam was right there. It's just that Kevin Durant makes those shots because he's Kevin Durant. And yeah, so and, I, and some, some quick stats uh, on that for Seth's been doing these uh, game reports for us the next day. And Kyrie Irving, 71% on his 17 self-created field goal attempts. Yep. Kevin Durant, 65% on his 13 self-created field goal attempts. And I mean, for KD, if he's getting the shot off, basically, like unless you're blocking it or disrupting him so badly that he's just as going to like airball it or, or, you know, it's like super late clock or something like as long as he gets the shot off, it has a great chance of going in. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, And then uh, on the game winner, I don't know if you want to, sorry if I'm going out of order here no, for it's you. Fine. The, the quote from Fred Van Vliet was, well, that's what Kyrie Irving does. And it actually was the first actual game winner that Kyrie had had as a buzzer beater in the NBA, although obviously he'd made a number of big shots for the Cavs, including one of the biggest shots in NBA history. But that was with about a minute left in that that game. So I, I thought that was interesting because Kyrie would be one of the guys, with the skill set where it's like, hey, get the ball in the air with the clock at zero to create that shot, get a decent look. It's just interesting that that he'd never had that before. Since I don't think I've ever told this story on the dunked on air, I actually asked Kyrie Irving the first question in his press conference after game seven of the 2016 finals. And the question I asked him was, I think I was first. I was definitely the first one to ask this. I said, you hit the shot that every kid dreams of. How did it feel in the moment? And his answer, which I hadn't fully anticipated, was I didn't get to appreciate it. I had to get back on defense. And so that directly ties in with with where, what what you were saying is that like it is different. But Kyrie, as, as noted, hits a ton of big shots. And so for the Raptors, that can be hard to process because the, on a lot of the plays, they did, quote unquote, everything right. And the Nets can just, they can kind of beat that. And I thought it was a notable challenge for the Raptors. And I mean, it's just the way things happen. Brooklyn's not going to have a ton of sympathy for them because of the guys they've had out over the year. But playing without Trent, playing without OG and Anobi, and they have all these frontcourt guys that are still out, Precious Chua, Kem Birch, Bands. I, I don't know exactly what the deal is with Delano Banton. I Actually, if he was healthy, I would have wanted him to play a little bit. But that put a lot on Siakam's shoulders. I thought generally Pascal Siakam played really well in this game. His defense, the defense and offensive effort in 
his 37 minutes was just so much. I mean, he was the primary defender on KD, had the ball in his hands a lot. And then Van Vliet had 39, um, definitely hit, so had some really nice drives, had some had a really nice and one in transition. And then at the end, it was Scotty Barnes. And Barnes had, he had some quiet stretches during the game, but he also took 11 free throws, which is far more than he has been taking game to game this year. It's been one of the criticisms of Barnes has been that he hasn't gotten to the line nearly enough. And he had a number of big finishes in total in the fourth quarter. Scotty Barnes, 17, 17 points on five of five from the field, seven of seven from the line. And really kind of kept the Raptors in touch. Him and Siakam. Siakam and Van Vliet had a couple of big baskets. And they need to lean on those guys well, because... Yeah. Go ahead. Quick, quickly on Barnes uh, b- before you move on. So 8 of 18 from the field, interestingly enough. So he's mentioning he was 5 of 5 in the fourth. So he, he had been 3 of 13 coming into the fourth quarter. Right. And had 26 points. And he was doing a lot of it actually going one-on-one against KD. And what I thought was impressive about it. Now, the Nets didn't have a ton of help at the rim uh you know nick claxton had six blocks in in 26 minutes but those were the only 26 minutes they played with anything resembling a center right right so uh and barnes I, what i was most encouraged by in that fourth quarter by him was i had noted in some of the isolation work he'd been doing that a lot of it was just kind of going against bigger players put the guy in the mix pull up for a contested long two not amazing this time he was actually getting to the basket and he was going right through kd like with strength really kind of bullying kd on some of these moves where he'd get into the lane do that like bullying bullying euro step where you lower the shoulder on the first step knock the guy back and then euro around him for the lamp he had a couple of those so that i thought that was impressive that it's one of the first times that i've seen him really getting what i would consider to be good shots in isolation and the net's help at the room was basically non-existent during that period uh, but he was able to take advantage of it and i was impressed by that i was too and there was a play where he where he finished through yuta watanabe who was in the closing lineup and that was impressive i had one where barnes beat ben simmons and and did a, a nice job there simmons for his part five of seven from the field his two misses were weird kind of like semi-righty hook shots that were a little bit bizarre and then the rest were dunk or dunk adjacent as i recall five assists five rebounds three turnovers in his 32 minutes of action and simmons played he was a little bit more active defensively um than the early part of the season but he's been a little bit better and didn't commit six fouls he only committed four during this and tj warren i thought he looked totally capable you know not back to the peak of his powers like bubble bubble tj warren but he did look good and Harris had Harris had some shots and so like that capability for them and when you compare that to the shorthanded Raptors who ended up playing Malachi Flynn 28 minutes Malachi Flynn had a couple of big moments he had uh, a four point he had a four point play and then he had what would have been a three point play if he'd actually made the field if he'd made the free throw. Um, but part of, I was like, why is Malachi Flynn in the game? Like they have all these playmakers. And the answer was because they just didn't really have anyone else. And so yeah. Flynn, there was a, a, a big play late where he ended up on Kyrie and Kyrie toasted him for a mid ranger. And like, it, I mean, I thought Flynn played a solid game overall. It's just that the Brooklyn Nets have, have players that he can't really guard. And so that is something Nick Nurse is going to have to navigate. It is the nature of the doldrums of any NBA season is that every team goes through these stretches where they have uh, where they're shorthanded. And that's why you, you have to build a build a deep roster and hold on for dear life. But I thought I thought the Raptors overall, I thought they played pretty well. I thought they, you know, they weren't 
they weren't making a ton of other mistakes. The Nets didn't force any turnovers. The Raps weren't getting to the weren't getting offensive rebounds a ton, but I didn't see any like, oh, they totally messed that up or anything like that. So like it's it's unfortunate and for the Raps, like this is a game they could have and some would I'm sure argue should have won. And it coming on the heels of being their fourth loss in a row and fifth and sixth games is is hard. So now they're they're oh oh actually do their you want to do their stats? So because I was gonna start to go into that stuff, but uh yeah, yeah. Before that, real quickly, I just I thought the some of the lineup combinations in the fourth quarter for the Nets were interesting and now mm-hmm. that they're especially now that Yuda is back, who's somewhat of a swing piece for them. You noted that he was in the closing group uh, for the last 340 of the game. Claxton did not play after the 10-19 mark of the fourth quarter. Simmons replaced Claxton at that time, but then Simmons actually wasn't out there for the last minute 30 or so. Yeah. Uh, they actually, they brought in Joe Harris for him at mm-hmm. that point. Um, it was I don't. I didn't watch this in as much detail as you did. I kind of just caught up on, on some of the film from it afterwards. But is there was there a reason why he was out? Were they up and they just like didn't want him to get fouled or something? No, I, I didn't see any particular that I could tell. I mean, one of the challenges I watched it as a condensed game the second time is that you don't get some of the context stuff. Um, but so the the closing lineup for the Nets was Kyrie, Watanabe, Harris, O'Neal, and KD. And so I think part of the idea was you have some capable defenders out there. You have players they have to act actively guard, and it is a frustration i would guess for the nets that if if the idea at the end of games is that you're going to run stuff through kevin durant and kyrie irving as you should ben simmons becomes a much more negative offensive player it's the same problem that i've articulated before with russell westbrook when lebron and ad are both healthy it's like if you're not if they're not in the primary action then it's a lot harder to use them because you can bring help you can do all these other things and so i think that was probably part of jacques Vaughn's motivation yeah, yeah. The- and actually they they go down no they're actually up they're up eight with five minutes to go well i'm saying that they're actually up by one when the sub was made okay to take out simmons um or or scotty barnes was shooting free throws they subbed him in during that so i I think it was maybe just an offense defense thing and then there wasn't a stoppage after that until there was a raptors timeout with 14 seconds left after the u to three and then barnes tied it at 116 on a on a drive and then uh then kyrie hit the game and, and that drive, similar to the game we called for the NBA strategy stream, the referees ruled. So it was a foul on it was a Barnes drew a foul and then Kevin Durant blocked the shot. I, I, I believe I have the sequencing on this right. And they called it a goaltend in part so they could review it. And this is a very nebulous thing. But generally speaking, and I don't know how referees are choosing to adjudicate this. I, you know, if that's the only way that you can trigger a review, then calling it a goaltend is there. I'm a little concerned that in some of those circumstances, even though it's the same person making the decision, you're generally supposed to get a a lot of deference to the call on the floor. But if you're basically making a semi-fake call so that you can actually review it, are you actually giving your previous call the deference? So I hope they get that right, but I think they are. In this case, they correctly reviewed, they correctly determined that it was just two free throws, not two free throw, not a one free throw and a made shot. And so that was why it was a tie game. Kyrie makes the three. And that's similar to the, we we did the game where Larry Nance blocked the Lowry Markkinen shot that would have been a game winner. They reviewed it and then correctly ruled that it was not a goaltend. Uh, one other curiosity from this game, and I never got a clear 
your answer on it. I didn't I didn't hear Jacques Vaughn's postgame stuff. Is that it looked at the at the at time I was originally watching on the Nets broadcast that Jacques Vaughn called a use it or lose it timeout, right? You know, it was like 305, the classic, you know, Budenholzer, Taylor Jenkins, all that. Except that the Nets only had two timeouts left. And so I never found out whether that timeout was just kind of autopilot, just do it, or there was something specific that they noted. But that did mean it didn't end up not mattering that the Nets were one timeout short during the closing kick. Get to the Raptors stats here. One in five in their last six now 13 and 16 they do still have a positive net rating in part because they have just had some massive blowouts i've kind of noted this that both they and the grizzlies it seems like due to the way that those two teams play with the possession game the pressure defense forcing turnovers offensive rebounding that on nights when teams just don't have it or if they're going against uh, someone who's just really bad or undermanned that they're capable of just completely blowing teams out in a way that maybe is not maybe juices their point differential in a way that you wouldn't necessarily expect now cleaning the glass does filter out garbage times so that helps it mm-hmm. normalize for that at, at least a little bit but even before gar- you know i don't think cleaning the glasses calling the third quarter garbage time if you're up by 40 in the third quarter like that game they had against the spurs for example i think is still really boosting them but they are 14th on offense 15th on defense but looking at the ninth seed right now per both of the projection systems 42 and 39 wins for raptor and elo respectively 61 percent chance to playoffs for raptor 43 percent elo anything else you wanted to talk about on them no i think i covered a lot of it over the course of the action good to see scotty barnes more aggressive getting to the free throw line that was as you mentioned in the first few quarters when he was not efficient from the field that's where he was getting things going they started wancho because as i mentioned the front court is very short-handed and honestly the backcourt is somewhat too he played he played reasonably um and then coloco yeah. I, I mean worth worth noting they still have the players that i think most people would say are their three best players right available it's just not with uh they've got og out they've got trent out and then well i i think so so they're they're four through seven basically are all out and that's a lot hard to take and they don't you know they have replacements for some things but not for everything so yeah it's a challenge for them Um, I, i mean i should they should be pleased i think that fred van vliet managed to go 10 out of 15 on twos and gets mm-hmm. the line eight times in that 39 point performance so because that's uh, where he can struggle sometimes but yeah the nets rim protection was not amazing in this game um okay yeah anything else on them sorry uh just briefly um i'm not gonna dwell on this but so after the game i think nick claxton said something about like he should be in the defensive player of the year conversation we're not going to get all the way to that but i will note that nick claxton is currently third in defensive epm yeah, I think that conversation should probably start with players who close games. Thought ideally, yes. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015, and I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom, and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. 
And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix Sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where, do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us we'll go with the sixers here yeah they're Ah. they're because they are just above the raptors and my sheep 16 and 12 4 and 1 since we last checked in on them it hasn't been exactly a murderer's row of opponents and their one loss is actually at Houston, although Houston is playing better. Uh, and that was in that they had two really ugly games. One was the, that Houston game in double overtime. And then against the Lakers, they controlled it throughout and almost had just a, one of the worst losses in NBA history. But even though the Lakers came back from 14 down to tie it, they won it in the last like four minutes of the game, I think. Uh, they won it in overtime so that started what is now a four-game streak defeating charlotte sacramento and golden state the the latter of which was without steph curry and Draymond green um they did win all these games by double digits though even the lakers came in, in overtime and what are the rest of their stats 
Philly, 7th in net rating, plus 3.2 points per 100 possessions. 15th in offense, 5th in defense. Raptor and ELO, the 538 projection models, both have them 4th in the Eastern Conference. Raptor with 48 wins, ELO with 47. And each one gives them, you know, roughly a 90% chance of making the playoffs. And I think the the key question that's worth answering, I mean, so James Harden now has been back for, I believe it's five games. How's he looked? Yeah, he returned on December 5th at the beginning of this 4 and one stretch. About the normal stats you'd expect from him, 61% true shooting on 26 usage. Part of that is buoyed by 43% from three. Uh, 15.2 net rating during that stretch. Uh, there are 105 on defense during this stretch as well. Again, not it's some, some pretty good offenses, uh, some bad ones during that stretch. Uh, probably more bad than good. Overall for Harden, his season-long free throw rate is the lowest since his rookie year, though still very good for any normal player, uh, 0.425. Turning it over on 16.5% of the possessions he used for the conventional turnover rate metric. He's always been pretty high on that. Uh, but true turnover rate is 9% when that includes his playmaking. And that's about average in the NBA. He's never been a great at avoiding turnovers. And he has possessed the ball for 43% of the time that he is on the floor. That is fourth in the NBA. And maybe he's, you know, he's not the fourth best heliocentric player in the nba anymore worth noting he hasn't played a ton without maxi they don't really have other point guard types like he was brought in to play this role to some degree so i i don't know if that's it's never ideal i think to have any player possessing the ball for 43 percent of the time but he's not quite as good at scoring as he used to be to where that i think can be a foundation of a great offense he's playing differently again though than he has a in previous seasons we noted this in those first couple of games that they played this season that we did against the bucks and celtics last season james harden made two shots as twos outside of 15 feet in his entire time as a sixer including the playoffs this season he is 14 of 18 on twos outside of 15 feet which is a crazy number and still a very good uh, 15 of 33 from 10 to 16 feet and it does kind of make me wonder a little bit what it would have been like for him in houston if he had just embraced that a little bit more particularly just at the end of games even to say i i can get to in isolation to just add in that one more thing that the defense had to worry about besides step back three right and drive left out of isolation especially the amount of isolation he's doing and most of the mid-rangers that he's getting to have been out of isolation out of the pick and roll he, he hasn't gotten to as many of these dribble jumpers and he's taken 35 jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll but 21 of those have been threes so out of isolation is how he's getting to most of these and just using that big body to create space, particularly against smaller players, not trying to get all the way to the rim. Uh, his floater game was getting so good with the Nets. That hasn't been good this year. He's 13 and 39. So that's 33% on that. And finishing around the rim, not so great. Yeah. I mean, making just half of his shots that are contested around the basket, which is yeah, not that, that's fantastic. That's a set stat. That's a set way. stat. And then overall, was it's about 60% in the restricted area? Yep. Yeah. One dunk this season. And I thought the biggest thing that was really interesting to me is just the overall numbers as a score out of pick and roll are not great. And then he is four of 17 on plays that synergy marks as to the basket out of pick and roll and yeah, all, all these metrics have like slightly different denominators that we're talking about here but they're all bad 
four out of 17 going to the rim out of pick and roll. And generally, there are a lot of perimeter guys who are not great there. You know, they're playing guys who shoot like 50% on those plays. You know, that 50% contested finishing is not good. You know, the league average in the mid 50s uh, on that, uh, maybe even the, the high 50s. But you know, for, for a guard that's not like so terrible to shoot 50% on that to the basket category out of pick and roll, but four out of 17 is awful. And so the scouting report should remain particularly, and it's particularly galling when you consider he's running a lot of pick and roll with Joel Embiid, who the defense is probably feeling like they need to really stick to. And so, I mean, I see those numbers in the scouting report is, all right, we need to make James Harden finish at the rim out of pick and roll. You know, if we're going to get over to him with the big, we're going to do it at the very last second. And obviously contesting without fouling becomes ever more important on those plays as well. Um, well and, yeah. and so something that I was thinking about as you were working through those stats is, this is James Harden's age 33 season, and it is impressive considering how poorly he's finished around the basket. Harden's still 60 on the year, 60% true shooting. I believe it's 61 or something like that since he got back. And usage rate's still plenty high. And so you have a, a positive and a negative there. So the question is, you know, like, how do you expect it to go from this point? It's like, well, first of all, he can finish better around the rim, but you're relying a lot on relying a lot on jump shots, whether they're twos or threes, still a wonderful passer. And where's the defense going to go and everything else? And so, I mean, it's a we it is a it was a worthwhile gamble, I would argue, at the time to to go on James Harden. We still like he still has a lot of good things, but it's it's also like I was thinking at the last time I watched the Sixers, I'm like, I wonder how how we're going to feel like what his game is going to be like two years from now. Yeah, you kind of wonder like it almost like can't get worse. <laughs> <laughs> right well, if, like, the like, if the jump shot like, gets a little less reliable that could be a big problem yeah i i, I guess so. i mean you hope that's something that can age a it little usually bit does. better yeah but i mean i think the other thing is just the injuries as well potentially becoming an issue for him and a few other interesting numbers for the sixers this team is 23rd in the nba for seth stats with finishing only 54 percent on their contested rim finishes and then interestingly that so they're 23rd at that they're just overall shooting at the rim per clean the glass is 62.6 percent which is second worst in the nba so that indicates that they're also not really getting any uncontested finishes at the rim like what are uncontested finishes at the rim back cuts okay you know they don't really move the ball enough to get any kind of cutting action fast breaks finishes at the rim especially with maxi out probably not going to happen certainly not uncontested they don't force a ton of turnovers necessarily and, and run off of those to get runouts and they're not like throwing awesome like alley-oop passes out of the pick and roll so most of their shots at the rim more than average are contested and they're not good at that so that's dragging that number down a couple of the other players, Tyrese Maxey finishes only 43% of his contested contested shots at the rim. Um, that's uh, And then Joel Embiid, interestingly enough, only 51% of his finishes or, or contested finishes at the rim go in. So that's another reason. I mean, it's just with that Harden, Embiid, Maxey's not really a huge free throw guy, but it's just so important to avoid fouling against this team because they are going to struggle to make shots if you can just contest without fouling. Now, Embiid, obviously easier said than done. People have been trying to avoid fouling Embiid, avoid fouling James Harden for a long time. And conversely, for the Sixers, this is why having good spacing on their team is so important. This is why you yeah. can't play Matisse Thibel hardly at all because these guys need more space 
to be able to finish if you have a second defender in there if you have guys on the perimeter that you don't need to guard so many more of those finishes the rim are going to be contested and they're not going to make and finally uh pj tucker watch since harden came back usage go up no i thought it would i really (laughs) did because harden is so good at finding that guy in the corner no it hasn't yeah six percent usage in the five games since uh harden has returned oh boy well let's stay in the atlantic division and go to the new york knickerbockers who are currently playing the indiana pacers as we record this and they are 16 and 13 on the season five and oh since the last 15 and 60 well they played the bulls twice in a row i mean that that helps it does it really does um the knicks are up to 12th in net rating plus 1.4 they're 12th in offense and 11th in defense well that that's crazy that 11th in defense because two three weeks ago they were like 25th 26th and a lot has changed mitchell robinson and quentin grimes moving into the starting lineup miles mcbride replacing Derek rose better defensive player though rose did have a a great moment in their blowout win in chicago that fred katz and others wrote well about it was great great to see uh, him celebrated in chicago and it's a little bit sad for the bulls that there's so much love for those teams that won one conference finals game but nonetheless that was the the best the era that chicago has had and had so much promise then rose getting injured it ruined the whole thing but uh back to the knicks yeah i mean their defense is so much better i mean they're above average on offense and defense when's the last time you could say that about a new york knicks team and if they play the bulls a few more times they could get into the top 10 in both um (laughs) yeah so so 1.4 net rating that's 12th in the nba now and they they are projected to make the playoffs Seventh seed, both projection system. Elo likes it for 47 wins. Raptor 44. And Elo says 86% chance the playoffs for the New York Knicks. I got to say, I was feeling pretty shitty about taking the Knicks over. And now actually, uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. And I think another thing too that just comes to mind is like, I would love to see the first half, second half splits for Tom Thibodeau teams, but it's there's so many of his teams that I can think of that particularly defensively just improved so much throughout the year. And they they always seem, it seems always seem to do better in the second half. The Minnesota may be accepted from that, but uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Quentin Grimes now that he's back in the starting lineup. Absolutely. And Quentin Grimes is currently playing in his 20th game of the year. So 19 before today, 14 starts, 463 minutes played. So that's that's a, a, a notable sample, but not a gargantuan one, to be abundantly clear. And Grimes is so if we start start on the offensive end, he's having a much more efficient season, and it is not in the way some might have expected. So Grimes last year was a little bit above league average, 50, 57% true shooting, did it by making a ton of threes. And Grimes is still shooting 38% from three. He's just taking a lot fewer. He t- went from 8.7 per 36 minutes down to 5.6. And instead, the reason Grimes has been so much more efficient this year is that he's making 67% of his twos, which is really impressive. And for Grimes, the concern there is that he's still not getting to the free throw line. So like it, it then becomes more about there's more variance in there and Grimes also only at 12.9 usage right now which is down from 15 last year still well below the kind of you could think of 20 as an even split there uh and part of the reason why Grimes is so much more efficient on twos is that he's gone from 61 percent of those being assisted to 77 so he's not getting into business as much for himself from two-point range and they have Jalen Brunson that makes things easier they have better spacing in many of these lineups which is which is useful as well so 
The idea so far has been Grimes in a more manageable offensive role, but one that he can do well. He's a good catch-and-shoot player. I, I like Quentin Grimes offensively. It was originally what drew me to him, I think, was at Summer League. I was like, I think this guy can play. And I was so interested because I've seen a number of Knicks games where I've been struck by the difficulty of the assignments that Grimes has had defensively. And I was wondering, because... Grimes is a he's a solid defensive playmaker, but not fantastic. Like steal rate one point three percent, block rate one point six. Like those aren't those aren't Matisse Thibault levels or anything like that. I'm like, okay, like he's getting tough assignments, doing pretty well. The Knicks defense has been very good when he's been on the floor. How are the models going to see this? And the answer is the models love Quentin Grimes on defense. Estimated plus minus DEPM. Quentin Grimes is sixth among all guards. It's just above Paul George. Mm. And then defensive Raptor plus 2.0 is still very good, but he is 16th among shooting guards. I will note that Raptor, when you do the position things on Raptor, it does anybody who they give that distinction to, whether it's a primary or secondary position. So being 16th in shooting guards includes guys that we would classify as threes or ones. But he's Grimes is doing a really good job. Um, there is some opponent three-point shooting luck that's probably juicing his numbers a little bit. Opponents are shooting below 33% on threes when Grimes is on the floor. He's only doing so much to help that. But it has made it, it's made a real difference for the Knicks. And this isn't as much of the statistic argument, but when you think about the structure of this team, you brought up that the, they've also been playing capable rim protectors whenever they've been healthy and during, during this stretch because Robinson and Hartenstein. Having Quentin Grimes in the starting five gives the Knicks two capable perimeter defenders, and Grimes has taken on a lot of assignments like he was he was the lead defender on John Moran, a lot of that Memphis game, which the Knicks ended up losing, but it was close, and I thought Grimes did a good job. He took on a lot of tough assignments in uh, the Dallas game, I believe, in the Atlanta game as well. And so you have him and R.J. Barrett, and neither one of them could take on everything, but you have the two of them together. And that also puts Jalen Brunson defensively in a role that is more similar to what he did in Dallas, which was take a reasonable assignment and, you know, do what you need to do offensively. And so the balance offensively and defensively for the Knicks, I think, has been a lot better on the perimeter. And it's, you know, it, it makes it makes the lineups make a lot more sense. And the Knicks have done a lot better when Brunson and Grimes have played together. They the Knicks have a plus three point four net rating in seven hundred and ten possessions. And the offensive rating when it's Brunson on Grimes off, the offensive rating gets worse. The defensive rating gets worse as well. And some of that is also the evolution of the Knicks this season. So I truly appreciate players who can be strong in their role, especially with the defensive part that Grimes has brought. And again, Quentin Grimes, like this is his age 22 season. There's no guarantee that the offensive role cannot expand in time, but he's doing really well at what the Knicks need him to do. And he, I think he's been one of the catalysts for this big bounce back over the last 10, 15 games. Absolutely. And Julius Randle has been playing a little bit better as well. They're finally finding an identity, shall we say, and it, moving away from and this is basically now we're a year and a half after their 2021 spending spree after they had that night nice season and got to the four seed Derek rose out of the rotation evan fournier out of the rotation still is a guaranteed year after this one Nerlens noel and alec burks both dumped and julius randall obviously got extended still on the team that's a little bit different of a category because it wasn't he, he wasn't a free agent at that time but yeah uh 
they could have been in, in different circles it's just it's interesting to me that and maybe even a lesson for some of these teams of like to just even if you do succeed at a level that you might not have expected to just try to relatively stay the course with that group if you're a rebuilding team that then has an unexpected year of success don't necessarily change the plan um you know maybe the the wolves also probably are a good cautionary tale about that at this point because they changed it even more than the knicks did but you know they're doing it largely with the same guys except now that they added Jalen Brunson who they had to move the guys from the previous signing to get but Brunson is so much uh, just a much better player than any one of those other guys that they signed in 2021 so yeah if you're gonna sign a real impact guy okay that's one thing but if you're just gonna try let's bring another guy here another guy there but we also have young players at these positions just go with the young guys probably Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. The There's Milwaukee also, Bucks. Oh, oh no, sorry. Go ahead. You, you done no. there? All right. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Let, let's uh, talk Bucks. Milwaukee, twenty-one and eight on the season, five and two since the last fifteen and sixty. They are currently fifth in the NBA net rating, dragged down significantly by the demolition that came on Thursday at the hands of the Memphis Grizzlies. Final score there, 142-101. Yeah, but, Holiday did not play in that game, but obviously right. the Grizzlies have players out as well. They do. And the Bucks are 16th in offense, still first in defense. Take more than this to knock them out of number one in defense. Both Raptor and Elo project that they will finish with 53 wins, which is good for second in the Eastern Conference. 
and both models give that give the Bucks a very high chance of making the playoffs. And notably on that front, on Monday, it looks like the Bucks are getting a significant addition back. Oh, and I don't even want to say back because he's never played in a game for them. Pretty impressive that Joe Ingles, I think it was David Locke who had this, is going to have the quickest return from an ACL, assuming he does in fact debut on Monday, which is less than 11 months since 2014 and there used to be guys who had come back faster and there are even guys who had come back you know in the eight month period particularly younger guys but uh, the standard got to be guys taking more time and I mean, it's also particularly impressive uh, somewhat just luck but to come back within the same calendar year as well january 30th is when he tore it so that's really good and considering joe ingles age as well 35 this is age 35 season it's really impressive to me i i think it's and you would have thought that he wouldn't get back this quickly maybe there was an understanding he was ahead of schedule and they signed him we'll see how he looks of course as well maybe even there's a thought well hey it's not like he has a bunch of his career left so might as well throw him back out there whereas for a guy who's on a rebuilding team who's 25 or Kawhi Leonard who's under contract for millions and millions more or that they're going to be more conservative with them because they don't want to re-injure it but with Joe Ingles it's kind of like well fuck it he's old anyway just bring him back out there but clearly they could have just brought him back a month from now they are convinced surely that he's really ready so how does he change the rotation that's that's an interesting thought here I mean is he going you know maybe we'll see I think a, a big part of it is maybe just Chris Middleton doesn't have to play as much. Holiday doesn't have to play as much as well. But they've also got, and the Bucks are a little bit more fluid in terms of positions because they've they've got a, a lot of interesting guys like Giannis can handle the ball so you can just have bigger guys who can shoot around him you know they've done this starting the three bigs thing sometimes so it wouldn't surprise me if Ingles takes some minutes off the plate of some of their smaller players like a George Hill Grayson Allen Beauchamp yeah Beauchamp um yeah but uh Pat Connaughton West Matthews they actually for the regular season they've developed some pretty decent depth and Ingles will pop into that but I think what everyone's most excited about probably is seeing Joe Ingles running that pick and roll to his left hand with Giannis and we'll see whether and then obviously just being guys a little more size who can make shots like Joe Ingles I think is going to be a pretty good offensive player still like I don't think he was shooting 34% on threes that last year with the Jazz I think he's going to be a solid spot up three-point shooter he just has too good of a track record there mm-hmm. it's just and, and, you know how does he look defensively that's the big question to well, me it will be important especially with Ingles viability as a postseason player and that's a, 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 an important part of this equation, considering the Bucks are second in the East. They are a bona fide finals contender is where he fits in there. But having a shooter and a passer, I think will make a lot of their a lot of things work better. You know, like the it, it, he'll add offensive connective tissue for the Bucks. And there have been times where that hasn't really been the case. And as you mentioned, the Bucks can be fluid in terms of positions. And also so he can it's not necessarily even sometimes he'll take minutes off of George Hill and all that. It's that. He can take playmaking responsibilities off of them. And so that can open things up a little bit. And Ingles defense matters, to be abundantly clear. He will also have a whole lot of help behind him, depending on which iterations of the Bucks he plays with. Like if they if they have him out there and he might be overmatched against some threes, but if you have Giannis and Brooke Lopez, then okay. You know, the, good luck if you get past him trying to trying to do something around the basket and the Bucks have gotten so much better not helping off of the real three point threats. So yeah, I'm, having more having more passing. Yes. On offense, too. I mean, just like they don't 
really have anyone like Giannis is a solid passer uh and Chris Middleton is good but having that third guy who really you know and having played in that Utah system moving the ball you know, maybe we they talked can about even, it you know we talked about when the Bucks won the title in 21 like they had these long stretches where the offense just didn't really work very well and Ingles doesn't have so much equity within the franchise that if he's you know the defense isn't working that he'll just be out but can be a player that you can lean on and this is going to be a weird comparison because their strengths and weaknesses are so different at this point in their careers but I remember when Nick Batum like there were some stretches with him on the Clippers and you're like oh adding a guy who's a willing functional passer really opened up some of what made their offense look better. And I think they're, I, and Ingles is better at, at at those offensive elements than Batum is. So I'm excited for how it's going to look. And I'm more, you know, it'll be for me, maybe taking more of a look closer in mid-January, something like that, once he's more fully recovered. And we're obviously evaluating this primarily in April, May, and June. But I'm incredibly excited about it. What else did you want to talk about Bucks-wise? Bobby Fortas, who has very much surprised me when he first got signed for that biannual a few years ago, and he now signed that four-year, $49 million deal. And yes, I was a little critical of that because I, I still have big defensive questions about him in the playoffs, but he certainly has exceeded my expectations as far as how much he's helped in the regular season. He's back in a more comfortable third big role now with the return of Brooke Lopez, who's playing so incredibly well. We talked about him, of course, and his rim protection on Thursday using Seth's stats. And yeah, the defensive concerns are real just from a scheme perspective of him having to be out on the floor against great creators in pick and roll. Probably not someone you want switching too much, but they're still respectable when he's out there. 108 is very good. It's just when he's off, that's most of that time is going to be Giannis and Brooke together. And that's when they're at a ridiculous 102 defensive rating, which is just such a, a massive outlier. And one thing that struck me about Seth's stats is how much of his offense is self-created 38 percent of his shots are self-created that's a a pretty good number for a big he's taking 8.4 self-created shots per under possessions and per perspective there he's taking more of those than he's taking threes only taking about five threes per under possessions and overall the top line numbers for him 57 percent true shooting it's about league average on 22 usage and considering the number of guys that they've had out being able to go to him uh, has been great and he's shooting comfortably above the league average on those self-created shots 52.6 percent league average about 49 percent on self-created offense for south stats and i think the biggest way that he's done that is in the post and bobby Portis going back to his bulls days the scouting report on him was do not let him get to the left shoulder he can't do anything going right shoulder and he still is absolutely deadly going left shoulder he's 13 of 20 on hook shots this season he usually gets down a pretty short range great soft touch on those hook shots 17 of those come from the left block he's a 11 out of 17 on right-handed hook shots from the left block but the big difference that i've noticed in his post-up game is that now he has some diversification and you can tell that guys when he's trying to back down they're like oh yeah the scouting report says no left shoulder so they're really sitting on that left shoulder and particularly from that the left block he's 
been able to feel that when guys are just all over him, you know, a step to their left as they're defending him, get a quick right shoulder turn, and he's a good jump shooter. So he's been able to be effective punishing that by going right shoulder for a fadeaway. And, you know, again, that's not such unbelievable offense, but this is a challenged half-court offensive team. They've had a there, lot of guys there, out. There, there are times yeah. when you need that. Like, it's yeah. it. you and I have, I, I, we've, we've criticized it at times, but there, you have to acknowledge the value when your team needs a bucket. Now, another interesting thing for Portis is that his block percentage is way down. Last year, it was 2.4% of opponent twos. Now it's only 1%. 2.4% was a massive career high. And that all just goes back to the way he was being used. Remember, Brooke Lopez was out for three quarters of the year last year. So he's playing a ton of center. He's even playing some without Giannis. And so that's just the role. He was playing center. Now he's out on the floor more defensively. He's either playing with Giannis or Brooke Lopez the majority of the time. And so, you know, this would be pretty much a career low for him in terms of block percentage. But a lot of it is just due to where he is, who he's guarding, where he's standing defensively. Let's get to the team Milwaukee faced in the 21 conference. Wait, sorry, that was the 2020 conference finals, the Miami Heat. No, and it was not the conference finals, the second round. Oh, God, it was the second round. Yeah. But it was also the 21 first round and one of the one of the most they went differently. Yeah. One of the most lopsided first round series in NBA history. But they are 16 and 15 the Heat. They've got a couple of nice clutch wins. Tyler Hero had nine three pointers made on back to back nights the first time that that's ever happened. Uh, So the Heat are five and three since we last checked in on them, despite Jimmy Butler being in and out uh, of the lineup, giving us a nice sample size for their offense when he's uh, on and off the floor, as we'll talk about momentarily here. Negative net rating is negative 0.4. They are 25th on offense and 7th on defense. Now we'll also talk about why that offense is struggling so badly. Raptor Nilo still like him fine for the 6th seed, 44 and 38 or 43 and 39 per Raptor and Elo and about 70% chance, 75% chance of making the playoffs for those projection systems. And yeah, what's up with their offense? What can we talk about here? There are a couple different wrinkles worth discussing. And what originally inspired me to look at this, um, Nikai's Duncan had tweeted out and I'd, I'd heard it as well. Basically, Jimmy Butler made some comments early last week talking about how he didn't feel like the offense was the offense was a problem. And I mean, they're, you know, they're 25th currently in offense. And I think they've moved up since those comments. And so you're like, well, that's a little bit weird. And part of the point there that's so fascinating is that when Jimmy Butler is on the floor, Jimmy Butler is correct. The Miami Heat have a 116.7 offensive rating when he is on the floor. If you want to extrapolate it this way, 116.7, if that were the entire sample, would be the number four offense in the NBA be between Utah and the Suns, nestled right in between them at three and four. And... That's in 1,400 possessions. That's really good. And the Heat are outscoring opponents by two points per 100 possessions, a plus two net rating. You know, it's totally respectable. And when you consider the absences they've had, you can but, roll with so, that. So their defense is actually much better when he's off the floor than it's Yes, it is. And some of that I know, is the I know you didn't look at that too much. So I'm not focusing as much on we'll, that. Yeah. I, I'm guessing it's not because Jimmy Butler is a bad defender. Correct. And so so that's when Jimmy Butler's on the floor, the the Heat offense has been totally credible. When Jimmy Butler is off the floor, that 116.7 drops all the way to a 105.4. Again, if you want to extrapolate, the Charlotte Hornets currently have the league's worst cleaning the glass offensive rating at a 108.3. So they're well below that, but only being outscored, as you mentioned, by negative 2.6, by 2.6 
points per hundred possessions in part the defense has been better and notably though all the non-butler lineups they're below league average in all four of dean oliver's four factors so that's effective field goal percentage turnovers offensive rebound free throw rate um and they're shooting 32.9 percent threes which is not great and i'll get into the three-point shooting in a second i thought that's another really notable subplot of this heat season and then those numbers get even more stark if you include uh, something that Spolstra, Pat Riley, and everybody didn't really want, wanted to happen less than it has, and that's both Tyler Hero and Jimmy Butler on the floor. And so the, the Heat don't have a ton of different creators, depending on how you want to classify BAM. And when both Hero and Butler have been off, they played 756 possessions already because of the time those players have missed. And their offensive rating is below a point per possession. Well, a 99.6 that's bad. Um, negative five net rating. They're in the zeroth percentile in effective field goal percentage at 46.7 in part field by shooting 29% on threes, which is heinous. And so my first thought when I was like, oh, you know, like Miami that that, you know, they, they're leaning heavily on two creators and those guys are out. And it's true that these other two guys aren't playing all those minutes, but the Miami Heat also have Bam Adebayo and Kyle, Kyle Lowry. And those guys are not necessarily up. It, it depends on how we're classifying it as up to their standards. But it is just so telling how the Heat have fallen off in the how reliant, I guess, is probably the better way to put it on Butler and on Tyler Hero to generate shots. And a big part of that story is this really bizarre alternation that is taking shape. Hopefully for the Heat, it doesn't continue for the rest of the year. So let's go back to 1920 when the Heat made the NBA Finals. They were number two in three-point shooting that year. This is just percentage, not frequency or anything like that. Then the next year, they were 19th. Then last year, they were first. And then this year, <laughs> they're 21st. Yeah, really interesting. And you might say, oh, well, you know, maybe it's the stretch four thing that I've harped on a, a lot. But it's just that the players that were so good for them over these last few years, they're kind of undrafted guys. A few of them have made shots, right? Like Caleb Martin, but he only takes 4.2 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. Duncan Robinson is shooting 32% from three, 9.5 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. He's had to play more recently. Max Struess, so good last year, 40% for three, a revelation taking really difficult shots he's even had games where he's been out of the rotation recently or at least halves 33.5 percent from three Gabe Vincent another guy who was really a revelation as a bomber last year and he, he's been out the last seven with I think it's the last seven with, with this kind of nebulous knee source might even be more than that and he's shooting 29.7 percent from three Lowry usually around 40 percent he's at 35 percent these are just guys who have been good shooters in their career just aren't making shots and if you and like are the shots really that much harder is it that they're because some of their creators have been out they're not as open i mean maybe there's a little bit to that but i i don't think so i mean i think it's just part of it is just bad luck like if, if they start making threes you know they're seventh on defense i don't know if they're gonna be like so formidable. remember they're the number one seed last year and tied for the third most wins in the nba but particularly when you consider like how jimmy kind of ramps things up in the playoffs as well i think they could still cause some problems for teams and you know tyler hero is having a pretty nice season now after these this last week so he's on track 
I think to be what they need him to be. So I, I'm still, I still have a reasonable degree of confidence that these guys are going to figure it out if they can get healthy enough to get some kind of a rhythm, which may just never happen. This could just be one of those years. It could be. I, I'm hopeful that they can, that they can get into that. And when the Heat's best players have been available, they've done pretty well. And we're less than halfway through the season, so there is time for them. And other than the two teams, like I, I, they're the next group, like just to kind of let people know where things are right now. So this is using the raptor projections currently the knicks heat hawks and raptors their projection is all between 42 and 44 wins and that is the six seven eight and nine seeds Mm. in the eastern conference so a a team above those that group can fall down due to injury or just not playing as well and they can get in there and also that leaves a lot of space for somebody to outshine it and I, i mean if i had to pick a team in that area it'd probably be the heat could be the raptors if they can ever get healthy but between it's probably between those two squads for who i would believe in briefly on kyle lowry look the lowest usage rate since his rookie year 18 percent and but it is only barely below last year but basketball references version of usage kind of like where where it ties in with assists like kyle kyle lowry also the lowest assist percentage at this phase in his career he went from 30 32 percent assist percentage last year down to 24.1 this year so he's just a much smaller part of the offense so far he's below 50 percent barely at 49 percent on twos and lowry not the biggest sample size 53 percent on shots in the restricted area so far this year caesar's sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with caesar's rewards that means win or lose every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only caesar's can offer like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations bonus bets daily profit boosts tickets to the game dining and so much more whether you're a new or existing customer caesar's sportsbook is always rewarding must be 21 gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Ah, the sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once, starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Let's talk Indiana Pacers here. What are their fundamentals? Indiana playing as we record this, they're 15 and 50. Sorry, 15 and 15. I apologize. Two and four since last 15 and 60. 21st overall net rating, negative 1.5 per 100 possessions per clean the glass. And their offensive defense have gotten closer together. They're 17th in offense and 21st in defense during this time. Both 538 models project the rap, sort of the Pacers to finish with 37 wins and have the 10 seed, which would put them in the play-in at the moment. And Raptor gives the it gives the Pacers a 24% chance of making the playoffs. Elo 29. So I really had kind of a hodgepodge of things that I just came across. Most of which was in going through some of Seth's stats here. So let's start here with Miles Turner and his rim production. 
he is contesting 40% of opponent shots at the rim, which is a, a very, very good number, but allowing 57.8% shooting is pretty much a, about average. And also opponents take a lot of shots in the restricted area when he's on the floor. That's some of the, one of the things that if you're going to show up as an elite rim protector in the NBA, yeah, you can contest. Yeah, you can force misses. Obviously, you can block shots. His block rate's actually down by about 2% from like 8, 8% at his best down to about 6% this year uh but you also it's just about the shots that teams don't even take when you're in the game because even that 57 yeah you can contest a lot of shots but that's usually going to be good offense to take a shot uh, around the rim to begin with yeah you can force a few more misses right like there's a reason the baseline in that assess rim production stats is 70 percent for kind of a lightly contested shot but 34 percent of opponent shots being in the restricted area when he's on the floor that's a pretty high number by contrast you go to like brooke lopez or rudy gobert and he's at his best opponents are taking way less than 30 percent of their shots you know 28 percent is is what lopez is at this year uh and obviously he's got some help there with Giannis uh, a lot as well so they are trying to funnel everything to him but their perimeter defense overall is not good guys are getting a pretty big runway uh, i think he's doing well considering the circumstances but he's not quite that like ridiculous just do it all himself rim protector i think he can certainly be the foundation of a, of a pretty good defense but they just don't have much else so the 21st overall in defense not amazing there um the other thing about turner that's interesting is that turner is at a 67 percent true shooting he's getting fouled a lot he's a, the highest rate of getting fouled of his career he is making 43 percent from downtown which is a mm. little worrying yeah go ahead no no go ahead uh, i was gonna say he's only been over 36 percent one other time in his career so hard to imagine that it'll continue at that rate and maybe you can argue he's better than he's been maybe you can argue that they've always had a, a big next to him maybe you can argue that they just haven't had the level of passing like tyrese halberton and company setting it up i, I think all those could be reasons why he will shoot a, is shooting a career best from three and that that could sustain to some degree but no it's not going to be 43 percent all season in all i did but yeah that overall 67 percent true shooting really impressive for turner his post-ups actually have been pretty efficient as well so that's that's and he's also at the highest usage of his career in addition to the highest true shooting percentage of his career by six percent uh self-created field goal attempts for the pacers are, are really interesting and the place to start with that is self-created threes and the indiana pacers are at 39 percent on self-created threes interesting that's really enough. good uh it is really good and as i went through the list of teams it, it's crazy like there are maybe like five six teams that are like way up there like above 38 percent there are like 10 teams that are below 30 percent and the league median is like 32 percent and it really comes down to just having one or two guys there just are not very many players in the nba who take self-created threes and are good at them and one of them is tyrese halliburton and it's just so valuable to have one of those guys if you look at the teams that are good at self-created threes well that just changes the entire way that those teams need to be defended halliburton is taking six of their nine self-created threes per 100 possessions and he's making 40 percent of those and then you got ben matherin 2.5 and he's making 37.5 percent of those and healed is only at two per 100 possession he's making 33 percent of them but 
Uh, and then another thing that's nice about taking self-created threes is you don't have to take self-created twos. They have the second lowest percentage of long twos per 100 possessions as well. So it, it, Tyrese Halliburton is a very, very valuable player in a lot of ways. His passing is number one, but his ability to self-create three-pointers is probably number two. Uh, also, well, his ability to push the pace. I mean, yeah, he, he's fantastic. So, Nate, that lends itself to a question. I mean, we've talked at length before about how the Pacers run they run in transition so aggressively they have the sixth lowest half court transition or half court frequency so far which is fantastic that's exactly what you want and they're making these self-created threes and everything else and what what is dragging them down offensively because i mean we're talking about all this stuff and they're below the league average in offense yeah it would help them if they could finish a little bit better at the rim their contested finishing at the rim is only 53 percent. that's 26th in b in the nba and i think they could be a really good offense if they could get to that their overall rim shooting they're actually 20th but that's because they're getting a lot of those uncontested rim finishes we talked about how Philly ranks lower in their overall finishing at the rim than they do contested rim finishing, although they're not great at either because they don't get many uncontested finishes at the rim. The Pacers are the opposite. They get out in transition a lot. You got Tyrese Halliburton throwing great passes to guys. TJ McConnell's another another good passer. They got guys you can go up and get alley-oops, like I say, at Jackson. Uh, but if you look at some of these guys contested finishing at the rim when they are in the half court, Turner and Jackson, their centers are both at 48% contested finishing at the rim, which is not very good on non-dunks those guys are, are haven't been fantastic i mean that's but it, it just shows you how turner's been able to be effective other ways other than just like going through guys at the rim uh, and finishing then some of their guards are atrocious aaron neesmith is somehow shooting 20 percent on contested layups uh and he's Jeez. at 43 percent on twos overall but he healed is 39.6% as a contested finisher. Again, running the league average in like the mid 50s here. Jalen Smith, another athletic big. You think he'd be pretty good there? No, he's 52%. And, and even Halliburton, for all his brilliance, finishing at the rim has never been his forte. He's at 50%. That's that same number that James Harden had. One guy who is really good at it, though, on this team is Ben Mather. And the numbers bear out how good he has. 59% finishing at the rim on contested shots that's just a really good number for a guard and then you throw in how many times with that rugged finishing he's getting fouled too I and mean, the number of times he's getting fouled for a rookie is really impressive and the other reason that they're really struggling is on offense more than you would hope and they're 17th overall but they're 7.6 points 100 worse with Tyrese Halliburton off the floor 106.1 which is a bottom of the league yeah, type and, of number and, when he's off the floor and that's striking when you consider that Halliburton and Matherin because Matherin comes off the bench don't they often are sta- separated from each other and so like you're having a but Matherin's also a rookie and not the primary ball handler when he's on the floor the Pistons are 8 and 23 two and four since we last checked in on them negative 6.9 net rating is 28th in the nba they are 23rd on offense 23rd on offense danny oh we're gonna team. talk about it how are they doing it that's that's unbelievable 29th on defense and they still project to be 15th in the east 24 and 27 wins per raptor needle respectively yeah 5 and 14 since k's injury but they're 25th in net rating only negative 4.0 so that's like they're competitive on a nightly basis and compare that to the spurs at negative 12.6 and the hornets at negative 8.7 in that stand but how the fuck because I mean, remember when Cade went out they're like 30th and now Cade was playing injured and 
also out Burks wasn't playing I think it's been important for them and Cade also because he was injured his own individual offensive efficiency was terrible so th- that's probably part of why they were so bad at that time but to be 14th since then how Kate Cunningham leaving the lineup just happened to coincide with when Alec Burks was healthy enough to debut and this I I started down the like oh let's figure out some stuff with the Pistons and originally the first thing was that offensive rating the Detroit Pistons when Alec Burks is on the floor this does not count their game on Sunday because we're recording before it begins the Detroit or sorry it is going on right now the Detroit Pistons have a 121.3 offensive rating when Alec Burks is on the floor. And yes, not all of that is Alec Burks being awesome, though 61% true shooting on 25 usage is awfully impressive. And what the Pistons are doing well during the Burks minutes, offensively, a lot of different things. They're basically never turning the ball over. And that is such an important floor raiser for a team's offense because it means that you're ending possessions with a shot. And so if you end a possession with a shot you can get an offensive rebound they've they've done that at times and they're also getting fouled 98th percentile 26.7 percent free throw rate if you want to extrapolate that out that well that's basically three percent more so like three per hundred field goal attempts more than the number one free throw rate over the full seasons cleaning the glass style so that's an incredible free throw attempt rate and they're hitting shots I don't think I've ever seen off the cuff a disparity this large, and I don't have a full explanation for it. I've watched a fair amount of the Pistons this year. Detroit is converting 77% of their shots at the rim when Alec Burks is on the floor and 58.9% when he sits. I have, I've, so I've never seen a disparity like that. And I presume that regression to the mean will balance some of that out because that's just, it's inconceivable that it is that large. And it's not like the, it's not like Alec Burks is this like nails three point shooter. It's not like the Pistons like brought back like five guys you could shoot and all of a sudden they changed their offense. It's not like even what the Knicks did to kind of like change around their starting lineup. So I think some of that will regress. But I mean, so they're not turning it over. They're getting to the line a ton. They're making everything around the basket. And so that's be that's providing that real offensive foundation. I still can't believe it. It hasn't happened. It's not real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean another way of Another way of kind of describing it, 101, first shot half-court offensive rating with Burks on, 90.9 with him off, 90.9, pretty bad. And so it's 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 just incredible. And I mean, we'll see if it continues. It's just, it, it, it's kind of hard to process. And when you consider the surrounding talent, it hasn't, and remember, Boyan was super hot at the beginning of the year. And that's kind of not, ref, it, it's reflected because Boyan Bogdanovich has played, of course, with Alec Burks. And also kind of along those along those lines, I'm bringing up the importance of Alec Burks and how everything's going. Alec Burks has not started a game for the Pistons this year. Like this is not like he came in and totally transferred the starting lineup. But it's just that the Pistons bench units have done a lot better. And that can be such a huge benefit. And it's funny, I brought up, I brought up the turnover thing. It, at times it has reminded me a little bit of some of those good Spurs second units that are able to to get some good shots against, let's call it, weaker opposition. A little bit of a quick status update. These aren't a full scout, and we're going to do a Jaden Ivey one at some point in the future. He had a nice dunk on Yuta Watanabe during the game on Sunday. Ivey, 50% true shooting on about 25 usage. And 
worth keeping an eye on. Again, sample's going to get bigger. Jay Nivey, 30% converting threes, 46% on twos. Neither one of those is really encouraging, but it's he's a rookie and it's early. We've seen a lot of young rookies in particular really struggle in some of these areas. And just as a kind of a, an anomaly, in part because of how the player availability, availability has happened, Detroit has four separate players above 24.5 usage, which is pretty damn high. Cade, Bojan Bogdanovic, Alec Burks, and Jaden Ivey, in part because Burks came in as Cade was going out and, and everything else that's happened. Yeah, then oh, Sadiq and, Bey. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yes. Yeah, so let's go to Sadiq Bey. Um, Sadiq Bey, 54% true shooting. That's actually his exact career average. This is a little bit bizarre. Sadiq Bey's career true shooting is 54.3. His true shooting this year is 54.3. Just a little bit weird. Um, Bay this year shooting 30% from three. He was at 38 his rookie year, 35 his second year. So that's a pretty significant downturn. But kind of, you know, I said his career average is exactly the same. Bumping up the two point finishing and getting to the line a little bit more, just under 50% from two, which is good. You want to see that progression from a guy, especially somebody who is six seven. So we'll, you know, we'll see where things are for for Sadiq later on in the year. Meanwhile, Jalen Duran, 61% true shooting on 12.6 usage, shooting 74% in the restricted area. So that means he's taking shots outside the restricted area and not making very many of them. Yeah, Duran, he's only making 33% of floaters and they're 30% of the shots he takes. Yeah, he does at least have 57 dunks already on the season, which is nice. I, the one thing I have noticed for them, and they've been letting him do a little bit more post-up type of stuff. You know, I mean, taking 30% of his shots from three to 10 feet, but, and the usage is low enough that it's like, it, it, you can only get so many dunks right at the basket anyway. Um, certainly it's breathtaking when he can get up there because of some of these dunks. He's not, again, I, I've just in the snippets that I've seen of him, the feel as a score, the, and, you know, I realize how young he is, right? He just turned 19 and he also reclassified. So he's not as experienced, but just that feel, the ball skills, understanding of where the defender is just doesn't look to be very good at this point in time. And again, if you compare him to say a DeAndre Ayton, who has kind of a good understanding of which way to spin. Like there was one play I thought was kind of notable. He had 15 points in a game over the weekend where he caught the ball in a fluid situation, but not just wide open under the rim. Like there was a guy there and he's on the left block area. Could have just spun towards the baseline and just dunked it. But instead, he had no idea that that was open or where the guy was. And he just instead like went right through the guy's chest on his left shoulder and scored and then like did the muscle thing afterwards. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty impressive. But, you know, you could have just like taken one step the other way and dunked, right? <laughs> like, so I, I thought that was a, an interesting kind of encapsulation of where he's at. And you know, this isn't to like crap on the guy or anything. Obviously, he's got so far to go as a defender and he's got elite physical tools. But it's more just that he's... For people who are projecting him out to be a potential all-star or something like that, it just you, you the innate feel as a scorer doesn't necessarily seem to be there for me at this point. And then Isaiah Stewart, 38% on threes, only 64% in the restricted area, which is pretty bad for a big. And then 17 usage for him. But it, the experiment of him shooting the three is working okay so far with the, the way he's been making them, making you think, okay, maybe they could do this kind of too big thing with him and Duran uh, at some point in time or him and Bagley at some point in time. Like, it's not insane to think of that, but I'm 
I liked him better as a center. I mean, I think it is interesting. You noted this the other day that his shooting percentage allowed at the rim is so much worse. And it's also not like playing the two bigs together has really helped their defense because they're 29th. Well, help, maybe it helped it, but it hasn't boosted it enough to matter, I guess we could say. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Uh, where do you want to go next here? Let's go to the Cavs. Stay in that central division. Cleveland, 20-11 and 11 on the season and a notable 5-2 and two since the last 15-60. and 60. The Cavs are now fourth in net rating, helped in part by that Milwaukee ass-kicking at the hands of the Memphis Grizzlies, plus 5.2 per 100 possessions, 13th in offense, and second in defense. Raptor projects them to finish as the three-seed with 49 wins, ELO the three-seed with 50 wins, and each model gives them 93-94% chance of making the playoffs. And the ongoing question of who J.B. Biggerstaff is going to try at small forward for the Cleveland Cavaliers, he's trying somebody newish. Let's put it, I mean, he's been there a little while now in that role. Yeah, Lamar Stevens is what they wanted to go to. They tried Levert there. I think they've come to the conclusion that Levert, at least for his own offense, they brought him in to be more of a second unit initiator, that having him play minutes with Garland and Mitchell doesn't really work all that well. And and I think Levert is, he's hit shots a little bit better this year. I think he's given more defensive effort than in the past. But I also understand trying to wanting to find a group that has a higher defensive ceiling, like relying on Levert as your stopper. Like, let's try Stevens, see if he can hit some shots. Obviously, Isaac Okoro has, has failed in that role. Um, now, maybe it's just the uniform, but Lamar Stevens' this game kind of reminds me of a former Cav, Ira Newbel, who was a rugged finisher, but just could not shoot to save his life. And he's shooting 26% on uncontested threes. Now, not that many of his shots are just straight up uncontested per stats because he takes 67% of his threes from the corners. And sometimes, you know, a corner three, you're getting it off, but there's just less for the defense to close out. So it's not going to just be totally wide open. There's usually be someone at least coming at you where you can get the shot off. It's fine, but it wouldn't necessarily be called just like a totally uncontested three, but he's hitting only 27% of his corner threes. And it's clear that just in terms of where he's standing on offense, it's always in the corner. Now he can sneak along the baseline for some cuts. He's done that more in the past and more driving in the past, but his usage is way down from where it's been when he's had stints previously. You know, it used to be in the 16, 17 range now it's down to 11 percent this year 
And remember, 20% is average, so 11% is uh, extremely low. And yeah, you wouldn't expect him to have the ball or anything like that, but you got to at least make the wide open shots that you're getting. And you also need to be able to at least shoot and above the breakthrough. I mean, just that number of shots from the corner, it's just, especially when you're also playing Evan Mobley, who's taken very, very few threes this year. Jared Allen is going to take, I mean, yeah, it's awesome to have Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And we talked about the amazing field goal percentage on self-created threes by the Pacers. The Pacers overall at 39.1%. That's tied for third in the NBA. Cleveland is at 41.5%. So that that's a good way to get around the fact that you're playing three non-shooters in your starting lineup. Overall, though, that starting lineup with Stevens, negative 2.6 net rating. And that's most of that is due to being 115.8 on defense, which they've got some bad shooting luck there certainly uh, i don't think that's steven's fault like in watching his defense i think he's he definitely competes he's better in strength matchups so he's not an elite athlete he's just kind of a good more rugged guy than he is just elite laterally elite bounce type of player he definitely is i would say he's probably the best defender i might even give that to dean wade let's we'll, we'll see wade of course is out with the children i still think wade is probably their best option there but we haven't had a chance to really see him i i would guess too that their plan is just to be unless something really pops that they're just going to keep rotating through all these guys and just try to figure out which one is the best by the playoffs so but they haven't defended an elite rate it's uh, like 250 possessions with that group so not a tiny size but still very relevant or, or uh subject to the vagaries of shot making on, on both offense and defense uh another thing that i wanted to look at with these guys was how it is that they're shooting so well on those self-created threes and hey it's donovan mitchell he's at the second highest e field percentage on self-created shots in the nba 61.8 percent e field goal percentage. that's a crazy number so that's second highest among players with seven or more self-created shots per 100 that's just above steph curry who's at 61 can you guess danny who has the highest self-created e-field goal percentage in the league among those taking seven or more per 100 my first my first thought and and i'll give you one one more clue sure this guy is four points of e-field goal percentage above donovan mitchell this guy's shooting over 65 percent e-field goal percentage on self-created shot okay so that makes me think it's that it's not somebody who does something similar uh no not Embiid. Jokic. It is Nikola Jokic. Yes. One of the best offensive players of all. I mean, that's just unbelievable to uh, to be able to because like that he, kind of. Uh, my thought was you can't be that much better as a self created shooter like the than what Curry and Mitchell have done. So it has to be somebody who does it differently. Yeah. Oh, and he's also the best passer in the NBA too. Sure. Like he he's one of the best. Uh, I mean, maybe you can say he's only shooting when he really has an advantage. You know, like I think there are guys who can bother him, but I think there are guys who can bother just about anyone if it's just a straight up one on one situation. But to be the best self-created score in the NBA, or at least the most efficient, I don't know if he's the best because there's a volume component to it too, but, and probably the best passer in the NBA, certainly the best passer out of double teams in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you can't fucking do anything with that. Um, so Nate, before we move on, I have a question yeah. for you. Yeah. I didn't include this in the stats stats pod that we did, but one of the elements that about this 
the Cavs' defensive profile that's really unusual is self opponent self-created three-point field goal attempts. The Cavs, Cavs' opponents are shooting 24.7% on those. That is significantly below any other team in the league, and the league median is somewhere in the 33% range. Is your instinct that that is... Like, like, I'm not saying to give exact proportions, but do you think that's the Cavs doing something really well or primarily just flukiness within a small sample size? I think there's a couple of components to that. I think Evan Mobley is, uh, uh, and Jared Allen are a big part of that. And I think what people don't realize sometimes about the Cavs, particularly when those two guys are on the floor together, they're doing more switching than you'd think with two bigs because the other one is behind and both of them are pretty mobile. And those self-created three field goals, those are going to be much more open. I mean, that's why you go to the switching defense. You know, that's why that became the book against Golden State for so many years that in the off-ball movement where it's like hey if you have someone who can just switch out here that shot's gonna be so much harder if they have to then make a one-on-one move to get that three-pointer off as opposed to just dribble off a screen and shoot it against a drop coverage so i think that's part of it and also we noted as well i think that opponents are shooting extremely poorly from mid-range off the bounce against the Cavs too i think there's a similar component to that where they are not letting people just walk into space against the drop coverage like they're just going to have more pressure like jb bickerstaff doesn't believe in just backing off and letting you do what you want to do like he wants to dictate a lot of what the offense is doing for a coaching philosophy standpoint now 24 percent that's crazy low i mean that would be lower than any offensive team shoots and and offenses do control more of jump shot shot making than defenses do i do think that defenses control probably more of self-created three-point shooting percentage than they control of team created three-point shooting percentage because those are just more likely to be open uh, and the defense just doesn't control that as much whereas all right if you're defending someone one-on-one and it's late clock you, you can guard them a little bit better I, I, i'm sorry i'm taking so long on this but i think it's a fascinating question that mm-hmm. the other thing though is there's just gonna be so much variance there um, and if you look at the numbers for the offenses right where you've got i'll tell you what the teams are actually right now so there are seven teams that shoot above 35 percent on self-created threes cleveland 41.5 percent denver we talked about this before how interesting it is that they are shooting as well 40.9 percent portland dame Lillard and anthony simons hello indiana we just talked about them Miami, a lot of that's Tyler Hero. Golden State, we know who they have. Memphis, interestingly enough, that's Desmond Bain. And a little bit John Morant, too, who's actually been shooting pretty well on threes. A lot of his are kind of wide open, self-graded threes. You don't see too much. Those are your top seven. And then everyone else in the league is 34% or below. And you do actually have a couple of teams who are just awful. Like the Spurs are at 20% and Toronto is at 24.8%. But that shows you too that like not that many teams just take very many self-created threes. Like the Spurs, they only take, they're shooting 20%, but they only take 3.8 per game. So if you go up against, like they've played two games, I think against... Well, actually, no, they just played Dallas, uh, but Luka didn't play. Um, but like, I think it's just a component of just who you happen to play mm-hmm. because you're just like the shot making in that category of shots is so concentrated in a few teams that just who you play or if one of those guys has a bad night or something, then you're it really skews the numbers a lot. So that's, that was a great question, though. I, I, let's see what people think of, of, of that answer. I did that entirely extemporaneously because I, I didn't know you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Let's get to who's next here. I want to do the Atlanta Hawks. 
The Hawks are an even 15 and 15 on the season, two and five since the last 15 and 60. They are dealing with significant injuries, as we've discussed in our news updates. Negative 1.8 net rating is 23rd in the NBA. They're 21st in offense, 16th in defense. 16th in defense, you know, respectable. And both Raptor and Elo project the Hawks to finish as the eight seed, 43 and 42 wins respectively. Raptor gives the Hawks a 69% chance of making the playoffs. Elo is 60% chance, even though both have them as the most likely outcome that they're doing it out of the play-in. Um, and what I wanted to look at is A.J. Griffin. And A.J. Griffin, for those who remember this sort of detail, he was a player that I did a video scout on and you did not because I was very interested in Griffin going back to his high school days. And I wanted to see how things are going now that Griffin has played a larger role in the rotation in part because so many guys are out. Currently, it is Capella, DeJounte Murray, and John Collins are currently all out. And then there have been some ins and outs. And so Griffin, he started eight games, played 555 minutes, but 26 total games he's participated in. And what I found most notable in some ways about what Griffin has done so far is it has been success along the lines of the things that went well for him at Duke. So AJ Griffin at Duke, surprisingly effective on twos, pretty good on threes, not great at getting to the free throw line. Like that was kind of his offensive profile. He did more that was self-created as a Blue Devil than he has as a Hawk. And generally speaking, the things that Griffin did well in college have carried over to the pros so far. His jumper, I think it's completely credible. I don't know if it's like elite elite. And, and we're learning from Duncan Robinson that elite elite might not even necessarily be there forever. Um, Griffin, 35.5% on eight threes per 36 minutes. They're also more than half of the shots AJ Griffin takes. 89% of them are assisted. And something that's really interesting, though, is that you would say, okay, guys really good on shooting threes or, or doing, you know, hitting threes at a reasonable rate. There are a lot of assisted. That's that's what's driving his efficiency. And relative to his peers, it sort of isn't. 1.07 points per possession on catch and shoots is only 48th percentile. But A.J. Griffin is 66th percentile on jump shots overall because he's actually doing really well in pull-ups. A.J. Griffin right now is shooting a higher, has a straight-up points per possession higher on pull-up jump shots than catch-and-shoot shots, though it's only one-hundredth of a, per, a one-hundredth of a point higher. But it is really uh, unusual. But Griffin was a good pull-up shooter in college as well. Yeah, the, 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 it's, it, oh, the floater game is good. I mean, he kind of he kind of leans forward and, and has like one foot way further in front of the other anyway. So it's like it almost seems like it's just more comfortable for him to to step in and yeah. shoot it off the bounce. And Griffin making 56% of his shots from 10 to 16 feet. And that's a the, the, the lines are drawn differently between cleaning the glass and passport reference and number of them. But that's still that's still good. And 33% on long twos isn't great. But you're hoping that it's not too many possessions unless you're Coach and I, Nate McMillan, unfortunately, in this case. And Griffin, only 24 pick and roll possessions, including passes. That's really low. But the Hawks have, when they're healthy, Trey and DeJounte. So you're not asking a lot for a player like Griffin. Only taken 14 free throws all season. And so AJ Griffin, less than a free throw per 36 minutes. And he only took 2.3 per 40 minutes at Duke. So that's never really been a strength of his game, at least in college and the pros. I can't remember high school. He was also, you're playing against slightly different competition in those circumstances. And something else that I would say is in the range of vaguely encouraging is that 
I thought the defensive film on Griffin was really bad at Duke, but there were reasons to believe he's a he's a smart player. He's pretty physically strong that it could improve in time in the pros and steal rate 2.2 percent. That's respectable. Like I, I'm, I'm happy with that for him, especially as a rookie. Only three blocks on the season and using the models because they watch more than I do and everything else. EPM has Griffin as a slight negative on defense, but it's actually 55th percentile just because of the positional values and everything else. Um, I, as far as I understand, defensive EPM Raptors a little lower, um, negative 1.3 defensive Raptor, which is 11th out of the 18 rookies that have played 350 minutes so far. And I don't know if you've looked at this. I threw this stat in. Do you want to guess or do you want me to just tell you the four? There are four rookies who are above a plus one, which is pretty good. Not elite, but pretty good in defensive Raptor. Do you want to guess any of the four rookies? Uh, I mean, they, they all make sense to me. I, I saw it already. But yeah, so Dyson Daniels is a plus 2.9. Tari Eason is a plus 2.7. Walker Kessler also plus 2.7. And Andrew Nembhardt is a plus 1.6. So how does put, put those numbers in a context for me? So in total in the league right now, there are 77 players with over 350 minutes played that are at that plus 1.0 or better. So they're four of the 77. I think Justice Winslow is like 77th or something like that. So it's like, I would say that's, I mean, obviously Dyson Daniels and Eason are, and the, those guys are well above, but like, that's pretty good. Like, and when you, generally speaking, players get better defensively as they age. Well, Justice Winslow is 76th in my heart. He he taught me the phrase caught a body back in, in 2014 when he, when he tweeted uh, about dunking on someone at a D nations all right i can't believe you left me the bulls but uh, i'll at least force you to do their stats that's fine the six-time nba champion chicago bulls are 11 and 17 on the season two and three since the last 15 and 60 they are 20th in net rating negative 1.2 and the dichotomy they're ninth in defense 112.4 but they're 22nd in offense and both Raptor and Elo currently have the Chicago Bulls finishing outside the play in, have them finishing 11th with 35 and 36 wins respectively, but still have a chance to make it. Raptor gives them a 16% chance of making the playoffs and Elo a 28% chance. So let's uh, talk a little Patrick Williams here first. Uh, what are his top line numbers for the season? Williams, he started 27 of his 28 games. He's playing 27 minutes a game. That's pretty similar in terms of playing time to what he did as a rookie, scoring 9.5 points, then four rebounds, an assist, a block per game. Uh, if you want the efficiency stats, 59% true shooting on 15.4 usage. So a lot of that stuff is similar, though how he's getting to it is different. Um, we'll get into that stuff now. Yeah, it's been the spot up 44% of the time for Patrick Williams, although that includes about half of the time he's actually driving. Now, one thing that's actually encouraging is back in the early part of his career, I still think he tries to drive too much rather than just taking the three because he's shooting pretty well on three-pointers, 39% on uncontested threes. And I think maybe you could try to push that a little bit more or at least speed up his release. Like He kind of has a slow release and he can't really shoot on the move. So maybe he's maxed out at least as to what he could do right now. Maybe he's just one of these guys who just can't up his three-point volume at least as of right now but i think 
if I'm a, a Bulls fan, that'd be kind of one of the number one things I'd be hoping they do. And this team just takes no three pointers. Uh, there, it's a real problem uh, for their offense. Uh, I mean, again, even with Zach Levine struggling a little bit, um, uh, also Nikola Vucevic is another guy who you know really just pass up a shot. Zach Lowe wrote about this, and Vucevic, uh, according to Sestach, actually has one of the higher percentages of his three pointers that are uncontested in the league, which is weird to think about because he's supposed to be like this shooting threat, but it seems like teams are kind of actually okay letting him shoot and that that's been clogging up their offense but that's really interesting yeah but Patrick, Patrick Williams at least now when he dribbles in he's going left and right in relatively equal proportions he's still more comfortable going left but it used to be step in one dribble left shoot a long two at least he's gotten out of that a little bit now where he can go either direction shoot a long two <laughs> but it, he is really struggling when he does drive on those closeouts like his possession when he actually just takes the jumper out of these spot situations is awesome but then when he steps in he's really struggling and he is 13 out of 37 when he puts the ball on the floor out of a spot-up situation which is now part of that's not all his fault because they don't have a ton of spacing around him either right like he is the spacer so if he gets run off the line he's driving into you know demar Derozan isn't spacing the floor for him right like alex caruso isn't spacing the floor for him i would assume who makes his wide open threes but he's not like a, a huge threat either so Part of that isn't all his fault, but it, still, it seems like it, he his off-the-bounce game, even in what should be an advantage situation, has not been good. They've pretty much given up on any of the self-created stuff for him. 18 pick-and-roll ball handler possessions, and five in isolation, six in post-up. So that's essentially 10% or less of his offense overall, uh, at least by the synergy play types, is self-created. And then his contested rim finishing, again, this is not all his fault because there isn't a ton of space here, but he, he's also supposed to be this awesome athlete with great physical tools only shooting 50.7 percent that's this and again like he he's provides spacing for others they don't provide spacing for him a little bit not that he's like so get, you know people are glued to him but 50.7 percent contested rim finishing and that's really bad for power forward number one like that that would be bad for a guard when the league averages in the, the mid 50s and then that's the second lowest on the team goran dragic is the only one who's worse so that to me kind of shows his lack of scoring feel and touch kind of what i was talking about with Jalen Duran as well where it's just if you have those type of physical tools but you can't figure out a way in, in this now you know is his third season you can't figure out a way to finish with touch you know double pump avoid guys bodies at the basket and his his plan is just you know i remember him just like getting blocked over and over again by christian coloco in that raptors game earlier this year so that, that's a concern like he needs to be a good finisher at the rim uh defensively though um he's about average for a power forward maybe a little bit below contesting 19 percent of opponent shots at the rim process stats opponent shoots 64.6 percent when he contests at the rim so they have that's like average maybe a little below for a power forward but that's also those numbers are or at least in terms of the opponent rim finishing is worse than we see from the other guys in a similar role on the team to him javante green and Derek jones jr those guys hold opponents to under 60 percent shooting like 57 58 percent now, one thing I have been encouraged about is I'd say he's been a quality option as an isolation defender. Yeah. Um, you know, watching the film there, usually he's being isoed by good scorers on the other team. And particularly if it's a guy with size, anyone who wants to have more of a power game there, uh, he's rarely getting beaten into what I would consider a good shot. I mean, it, 
the numbers are just fine there. You know, I think he's lying like 0.8 points per possession isolation, which is above average. But I usually try to look more at just like how what quality of shots are you thinking of? How many blow buys is he giving up? And, and particularly the bigger the player, I thought he he did better there. Um, yeah, and and that was a part of what intrigued me about Patrick Williams as a prospect was the idea that you know, especially at the time he was drafted, big wings were dominating were dominating the league. Kawhi, KD, LeBron. And the idea that he could hold his own in some of those tough matchups was definitely something I really liked about him. Yeah, so he's a guy I think you could put on someone, one of those like apex wing scorers, and not feel like it's a five alarm fire. Like you can kind of gap a little more. You don't need to just go double team when he's guarding. And like, all right, if he gets beat, you can just go with your normal health principles. So that's certainly something that's vulnerable. I think if you are attacking him, he's more vulnerable to speed matchups. And the further away he is from the basket, the harder it is for him because he doesn't have the quickest feet. The other thing I think he struggles with a little bit is if you can get him to slide a few times and then you can pull up really quickly, like he doesn't have the quickest bounce off the floor. Like he can get up when he really loads up, but he's not not that kind of quick leaper. So you can kind of, if you can get to a spot and rise up, he's not going to get an amazing contest. But if he can get his body on you, I think he can be pretty effective as a, an isolation defender. The context here, again, should be no noted some of these pick and roll schemes with Vucevic they're putting him further out on the floor or they've got these guards uh Mu and Caruso who are playing a lot who are really going to be gapping off of their players and, and providing good help as well so they're I think within the team concept he actually has a little bit more assistance you know pick and roll getting in conventional pick and roll defense getting over the screen I would say kind of looked average to me I mean it's tough for a guy that small to kind of get skinny and a couple other just small notes here on the Bulls Zach Levine we've noted that his overall shooting at the rim is down I think the contested finishing also shows that 51.9 percent contested finishing at the rim this year and even last year when he spent half the year injured he was at 50 58.4 percent contested finishing at the rim last year and Andre Drummond you know you mentioned the struggles of Vucevic uh, in terms of the south rim protection stats Drummond is lying 68.9 percent shooting at the rim when he contests and again you noted their 11th in defense that's pretty impressive that they can be there given how badly their centers are struggling at, at rim protection and it's not like they're a big switch team either right all right that will do it thanks so much for listening if you are a subscriber and you're looking for a last minute christmas gift and you know some other basketball fans a year of dunked on prime would be an awesome gift we think and if you're liking all these stats that we're giving you here you want to hear more from seth partno and dan feldman and listen to this pod more and you're on the public feed please consider subscribing yourself but as well link to that is in the show notes talk to you all soon caesar's sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with caesar's rewards that means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.